Good morning, everyone. Um, I'm Shanae, and today I'm doing the Bible reading. Uh, It comes from Philippians 4, verses 8 and 9. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, admirable, If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learnt or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Alrighty, we're getting some volume. Cool. Ah, it's a little bit... (laughs) Off to a good start. <laughs> I'm relaxed. All right. Thanks, Shanae. Thanks for everyone else who's made this service what it is this morning. Thanks that, um, yeah, for the worship team, for Phil, for our sound and media guys, uh, for our hosts, for our many, many people that make church what it is today. So thank you for that. So I'm up here to share with you today my first ever sermon. Thanks for being the guinea pigs. Our sermon is simply a time to look at a Bible passage and uh, dig into it a little bit get a little bit of depth and detail and get some truth and application out of it. Now, kids, I know you're in for the long haul. I remember, as a kid, hanging out for the minister to say that four-letter word, amen. It was like, oh, finally, we can go and run outside. But, kids, I know you're in for the long haul. I hope you can follow along. Uh, As incentive, I actually left it back there, I've brought some chocolates for kids under the age of 12, so that's pathway kids, who can come to me at the end of the service at some stage today and tell me the six things that Paul talks about in Philippians 4, 8 and 9. So, we've cleared that up, let's go. So, why pick this little passage for my first sermon? Well, because it bothers me. Is what I think about in line with what this passage says. If I'm honest, often not. And this causes discomfort and a sense of unease in me. And I'm guessing the world I live in is pretty same to yours. The sun rises in the morning over there somewhere and sets in the evening over there somewhere. Gravity holds us to the ground, just like it does you and me. And I'm living in a culture that screams, think about yourself and, the en- and your own enjoyment, just like you. And I also find myself doing and enjoying things that are not always true, noble, right, pure, lovely or admirable. If I can be so bold as to say it, I bet you do too. I want to share this because it's a real struggle facing me and us today. We live in a pretty messed up world with no end of unhealthy things bombarding our minds each and every day. So my hope and prayer is that after leaving church this morning, we'll all be a little closer to God and a little more in tune with his spirit. So speaking of prayer, let me pray now before we dive in. Lord, thanks for your word. Thanks that it's still relevant and powerful. Please guide our thinking this morning. May your words be heard and not mine. Challenge us and convict us. Draw us nearer to yourself, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm going to briefly run through each of the six things that Paul wrote in this passage and hopefully give some useful insight. Oof, even worse. Truth. What is truth? Now, many an argument has and is taking place amongst philosophers around the question of, is there really absolute truth? I'm no philosopher but I figured I'd look into the definition of truth, and more than that, absolute truth. Absolute truth is something that is true at all times and in all places. Can we think of something that fits that definition? 
Yes, it's a Sunday school answer. God and the Bible. So as believers, we know and believe that there is absolute truth in God and the Bible. And Paul seems to think along the same lines. He's referring to truth in its broadest sense, meaning that everything that is true is from God. And what does it look like? Yes, it sounds like the typical church answer, but dwelling on the Word, meditating on the Word of God, not sitting cross-legged with your hands up like Rafiki from The Lion King, but to stop and think about what we're reading, taking time not just to read it, but to really dig into it, to wrestle with it. And there's a way that we can help ourselves understand what is actually true and therefore think about whatever is true. An analogy I heard recently is about cows. Cows chew cud, right? Meaning they eat their grass more than once. It's gross, but after filling up their one stomach with fresh grass, they'll find a nice sunny spot in the paddock, have a little lay down and vomit it all back up again. Now, they don't vomit into a, onto the ground or into a bucket like we might when we're sick. They just fill up their mouth again and then chew it all again. Whoa, so bad. <laughs> Anyway, chew it all again and then it goes into a different stomach and only by doing this that they uh, get the goodness from the grass. Now, as Christians, we have a far more nutritious thing than grass. We've got a thing called the Bible. We should be stopping like the cow, maybe even in a nice sunny spot and have another chew on the Word of God. I think it gives a good picture of meditation and uh, when you see cows, just think about meditating on the truth of God's Word. So whatever is noble, noble in my mind at least, maybe think of kings and queens, you know, nobility. Now we don't need to think about crowns and thrones. Um, some translations of the Bible use the word honourable instead of noble. Now honourable might be an easier word to explain here. Think about things that are honourable. What does that mean? It means to think about things and people that have good reputations. The ultimate person would of course always be Jesus. So what on earth does this look like? What does it look like to think about honourable things? I got trapped in overthinking this idea of what is honourable. I mulled over it for ages and wrote it for Paris. Like, no, that's not it. Until I found this passage from deeperchristian.com. It says, and I quote, Is my mind dwelling upon whatever is highly regarded? Is it fixed upon the loftiest themes? Would I be honoured and willing to share my thoughts with people around me because there is nothing shameful? If someone were to peek into my thought life at any point of the day, would they see the gospel or would they see selfishness, perverseness, pride, arrogance or anything else that is not Jesus? If I am unwilling for others to see my mind, do I not realise that God hears my every thought? And is he not more important and valued than the people around me? Now that's quite confronting. Is what we let into our minds worthy of honour? Whatever is right. Paul doesn't use the word right, meaning simply the opposite of wrong. It's bigger than that. Again, it can be helpful to look at other Bible translations. Some Bibles use the word just. So what does thinking about and doing right or just things look like? Can we say to ourselves that we love doing the, what is right or just? Not because we want to be noticed for doing good things, but simply because we love to do the right thing because it's the right thing to do. If we're going to do right or act justly, we need to think right as well. Whatever is pure, purity. Paul is not speaking only about sexual purity here. Yes, it's a part of it, but not all of it. The word pure can be summed up by saying, not tainted by evil. Now, the world as we know it is infiltrated with sin and evil. 
how on earth are we supposed to think pure in a place like this? I remember a story told to me a long time ago. I think it was actually here from this stage a, a lot of years ago when I heard it. It went something like this. So a teenage boy is keen to go to the movies with his mates. So he goes and talks to mum and uh, says, Mum, I'd really love to go to the movies with my mates. She said, oh, okay, what sort of movie is it? What's it rated? Is there any swearing or anything bad in it? And the boy's like, oh, it's not too bad. It's, you know, it's a really good movie, but it's just got a little bit of swearing, but I can ignore that. I don't have to listen to that. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. And the mum was like, oh, okay, well, you can go to the movies. In fact, here's some chocolate brownie to bring with you. Send your mates. You can share it with your mates. And this little boy's hit the jackpot, he thinks. But as he's walking out the door, the mum calls out, you know, that brownie, it's made mostly of good things. It's got eggs and sugar, heaps of chocolate. I even made some nice icing with, um, like, ganache or whatever. But I did just put a little pinch of dog poo in the mix when I made it. <laughs> Would you be okay eating a chocolate brownie like this? It's tainted with poop. Is what we think about and do tainted with evil? Is it pure? So this story confronted me a long time ago and has stuck with me ever since. I hope the same is true for you. Whatever is lovely. Now, lovely is a bit of a weird word to use here. I look at the perfect berms and the nice big jumps on a mountain bike trail and I could call that lovely. Someone here might look at it, some abstract bit of artwork and go, that's lovely, I'm <laughs> weird. Anyway, my point being that what's lovely to me is not lovely to you, necessarily. So what is lovely? Paul says it is what pleases God. We're called to be people who think about ways to intentionally draw out love in others, not people who stir up envy, jealousy or anger. Thinking and doing things that are lovely are described pretty well in Ephesians 4, 32. It says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Can we be the person who thinks about and finds ways to be kind and compassionate, to really love those around us? Think about times in your own life when you receive this blessing. In fact, John 13, 34 to 35 says, our love for one another is how everyone will know we are Jesus followers. And that's what we're all about, so we better do it. Whatever is admirable, what do we admire? Sunsets, fast cars, intellect. Admiring this sort of stuff isn't necessarily wrong, but it's not exactly what Paul is saying. What is it that makes someone or something admirable? An admirable person has good character. Humility, love, compassion, patience are all admirable things in a person's character. Something I find easy to admire is how selfless people can be. Godly people who think about others more than themselves are admirable. If we admire the sunset, for example, understanding that we should admire the cr who created it is thinking about things that are admirable. So what does thinking and doing admirable things look like? How about thinking about others' needs before your own? even when it comes at great cost to do so. Think about ways to serve rather than be served. And if we look at creation, we should admire God for his creative genius rather than the thing that he created. And we should carry the name of Jesus everywhere we go. In order for him to be seen in us, we ought to think and do stuff that others think is unusually good or admirable. Not to show everyone how great we are or that we're superior in any way, but to show that we have the King of Kings the God of the universe, living inside of us. God doesn't want his name or his reputation marred by, his, by followers thinking and doing anything less than admirable. So let's just get a little bit personal. Why is it worth our effort to do this in our lives? 
why does Paul specify, think about such things? Why not do such things? Now, during my reading and listening, in preparation for this message, I heard this quote, everything starts with a thought. I mean, everything. Everything you do or see began as a thought. And the seat you're sitting on was once a thought in someone's head. Those lights above your head were too. When even you were a thought once, Paul is capturing everything, thinking, doing, saying, by stating, think about such things. And one of the many things that really bothered me with this passage is music. Whether we notice it or not, music has incredible power over our emotions and life. It matters what we listen to. Some of the music I used to appreciate listening to was vulgar, as you can get a picture there. The lyrics were foul, and the culture of the bands were dark and terrible. I'm a fan of heavy guitar riffs, a double-kicked bass drum, and angry lyrics. And I also love the sound of some horrible bands, Corn, Slipknot, The Used, Primer 55, to name a few. And this verse has changed my life, and it's uh, helped me think differently about enjoying this kind of music. Now, I was challenged a long time ago by someone sharing with me something to this effect. Does listening to this music draw you or others closer to God? If the answer is yes, it does draw me or others closer to God, then great, keep listening to it and worshipping God through it. If the answer is no, it doesn't draw me or others nearer or it doesn't make any difference, then ask yourself, why bother? So I made some decisions a while ago to work on getting rid of this music. It wasn't helpful for me and in my walk with God. The lyrics were repulsive and just a waste of my time. It wasn't easy and it doesn't mean that I only listen to Christian music now, but I've made a conscious decision to try and filter the music I listen to with a question, does it draw me or others closer to God? Now, I don't get it right every day, but I know by God's grace and forgiveness through Jesus, I am forgiven fully. We live in a broken world and we're tainted by sin and evil, yet we are perfectly forgiven through Christ. This doesn't mean we give up altogether, but rather constantly striving to get our minds more like Christ. Because, like all healthy relationships, um, sorry, like all other relationships, we want to serve the other member in the relationship, not to make them love us more or make us look better, but to make us love God more and to make God look better. Now, music might not be a big thing for you. Perhaps your understanding of God's truth is a bit distorted, therefore you believe the devil's lies that you're not forgiven or good enough for God. Perhaps the movies you watch are far from honourable. Are you obsessed with doing the right thing to get attention from others? Is the social media you devour pure? Do you gossip in the schoolyard or workplace instead of drawing out the love in others? Do we admirably carry the name of Jesus everywhere we go? What is it that consumes us that isn't true, noble, right, pure, lovely or admirable. Now, our conscience, to some extent, will convict us. However, as believers, our conscience should be supercharged with the Holy Spirit. I knew when I was listening to bad music that it was bad music. I chose to ignore it or tell myself, ah, it's not that bad, I just like the sound. I'm not listening to the words. That's rubbish. This music had dog poop in it and I chose to ignore the Spirit's prompts. Now, Paul sets a pretty high standard in this passage. Do you think it's realistic to only think of those things? Well, no. We live in a broken world. God intended for the world to be perfect, and that's how it was designed and assembled. It was perfect until Adam and Eve decided 
to go God to decide that God's way wasn't as good as their own way. They chose to reject God and in doing so introduced sin and brokenness into the world. So sin and brokenness is now part of who we are. We are not perfect and we never will be while we're here on earth. Therefore, we will never only ever think about such things. Thoughts that aren't true, noble, right, pure, lovely or admirable will enter our minds. This doesn't mean we need to wallow, up, wallow in guilt or self-pity, nor does it mean we throw our hands up in the air and, say, and just give up. Absolutely not. As Christians, we believe that Jesus came into the world as the perfect sacrifice for our sin. While we're still broken and sinful, we believe Jesus paid the price for it all by dying on the cross and rising again three days later. Through Jesus' perfect sacrifice, we are made right with God. We are now adopted as sons and daughters into God's family, should we choose to believe Jesus did this all for us. He loves us so much and he wants a relationship with us. And as believers, we also want to foster and grow that relationship with God, not because we have to tick a bunch of boxes or do all these rules just to get to heaven, but because like any good relationship we have here on earth, we want to serve the other in that relationship. Think of someone you love and respect. Now when I say love, I mean really love, like unconditionally love. Maybe it's your best friend or your siblings. Perhaps it's your husband or your wife. Maybe it's your parents. You want to please them, right? It should be the same with God. We don't need to think all true, noble, right, pure, lovely and admirable things just to tick a box or to make God accept us or love us more, but rather because we want to. God wants what's best for us, not what's easiest. It's not easy to, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10.5, to take captive every thought. We were originally designed perfect in a perfect world True, noble, right, pure, lovely and admirable things are all we could have ever thought about. And arguably, our original design and purpose is still there. I think if we look hard enough, we can see the tiniest glimpses of our original and perfect design. Almost like that old car that was once in pristine showroom condition. Shining paint, straight panels, is now damaged and rusted. We can still guess what the colour was by seeing the scarred, faded paint left behind. We can even perhaps imagine it in perfect condition again the chrome gleaming and the windows intact. We can catch a glimpse and imagine a glimpse of and imagine our perfect original design if we look hard enough. We are created in the image of God to reflect his goodness. Let us not give up and give in to evil thoughts and desires. Let us strive every day to take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ, thinking excellent and praiseworthy things. My challenge for you today is to kick whatever it is not drawing you nearer to God out of your life. If, like me, you think to yourself, I can't do that, it's too big, it's too hard, I like it too much, it's got such a hold on me, let's look at verse 9. Paul doesn't really give us an option as to whether or not we should do this. Verse 9 says, Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. What Paul has taught, given and shown, well, sorry, what has Paul taught, given and shown the church of Philippi? There's so much in this short letter. Let's take a minute to explore one lesson Paul uh, taught earlier on. Paul says this in chapter 3, verse 8. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. What a mindset to have. My desire to listen to rubbish music was purely due to my short-sightedness. Not because my eyes are that bad, Charmony, 
but because I'm only looking as far ahead as this life on earth. We can look at our life here on earth as temporary as we believe it in, believe it, uh, believe it is and focus on what lies ahead of us in eternity. And that should completely change the way we think about life on earth. We believe in life after death. We're more than just animals put on this earth to run about our meaningless lives to only be worm food at the end of it all. God created us and wants a relationship with us and we need to make a choice to follow him and serve him on earth or not. Eternity with or without God, that's a big deal and eternity is a long time to spend somewhere. What does it matter if we miss out on so-called worldly pleasures if at the end of time we get to spend eternity with God? It's a matter of perspective and I would love to be able to live like everything that keeps me from growing closer to God is garbage when compared to Christ. Take a look at your own life. Do you want to know and experience the God of peace for yourself for the first time or the 501st time? To do that, we need to work out what it is that grabs our attention more than God. What is it in our daily lives that is not noble, true, right, pure, lovely or admirable? Step back, have an honest look at eternity and ask yourself, will it matter then? Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you that we can uh, explore it a little. Uh, only a tiny, tiny little chunk of your word, Lord, as we looked at this morning. Um, and yet it speaks very powerfully to me and I trust it speaks powerfully uh, to those here this morning. Um, yeah, as we go from here, Lord, uh, help us to put it into practice, to think about what is it in our lives that is not pleasing you, that is not lovely, that is not pure, that is not true, it's not noble, it's not admirable. And... Um, to work out a way to, to rid that of our lives, Lord. We don't expect to just walk out of here completely brand new, uh, changed in an instant kind of people, Lord. You often work slowly and uh, we work slowly. So use us and uh, grow us, Lord, we ask. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. So I hope this message has prompted some big questions for each of us. It certainly has me. And the idea of a relationship with God is new to you. Talk to someone here this morning either the, the friend you came with or me or another leader perhaps, please make the most of this chance to chat with someone. I'd love to chat with anyone about faith, God or perhaps this passage as I have a lot to learn myself. So I believe we've got a couple of, another song to finish off with.